Hello and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the psychosexual films of the VHS era. Tonight, we are talking about the 1971 Jose Ramon Larraz film, Deviation. And if I'm not pronouncing his name correctly, well, that's unfortunate, I guess. But I'm te- I was a terrible Spanish student. Anyway, my name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Well, if you're pronouncing it wrong, I'm going to go down in flames with you. Okay. <laughs> Listeners, it is truly an experience to be so engrossed in a film that the outside world seemingly melts away, even if only for a moment. It takes a particular approach to filmmaking to transport viewers, not only to a specific setting, but inside an entire mindset, perhaps the perception that time has no meaning. As of this broadcast, you can find 1971's Deviation on YouTube for free and nowhere else for streaming. Seriously, if that one user gets his video taken down, then you'll basically have to get your hands on a bootleg hard copy. Yeah, I'm not, I don't think this film has like a Blu-ray release or anything. Did you look? I found a, what I believe was a bootleg DVD website selling copies for like $10. That's where mine came from. Hmm. No, there is, uh, according to Amazon, there's no DVD or, um, blu-ray release this movie did not even get a vhs release in the united states it got one in canada and even the canadian tape is bizarre that's what uh, my dvd artwork is taken from and the front cover has a still from the movie scalps it's not even from this movie and there's no like production company or distributor or anything on the box. It's very odd. So listeners from the future, if this is no longer on YouTube, you now know how to get copy. And then you, like us, can be whisked away to the fanciest trap house nestled deep within the dark forests of the UK, feeling as if you yourself had been held hostage in a drug-induced daze for an hour and a half. That feels like three. I don't think this feels like three, but otherwise, I'm there with you. Like this, if if a movie could induce a, a hour and a half high, then I think this movie does. Well, I'm glad I'm not alone on this, because, Luke, while watching this, I felt like both nothing and everything happened. <laughs> Yeah, that's very fair. It It is almost like a fugue state or like a drugged state. I mean, during the whole second half of the movie, characters are either smoking weed or injecting what they call heroin, but it looks like morphine. And it, the sensation for the viewer is similar. Yeah, you know, I, I haven't done heroin yet, but I specifically remember and tell me if you remember or can relate to this experience, you know, uh, a dare program in the fifth grade where, you know, officer who gives a fuck is, is at the front of the class with McGruff, the crime dog saying, you know, Hey kids, don't do heroin. It's just like, it's just like watching Jose Larraza's deviation. 
Yeah, I won an award in the fifth grade for writing like the best dare essay. And I remember I got I got a watch that had the crime dog on it. Hell yeah. Yeah, those lessons didn't really stick. Um, <laughs> Do you still got that uh that crime dog drips laying around somewhere? No, I have no idea where that is. Oh, what a shame. It it is it maybe it's at one of my parents' houses. I don't know. Hmm. So before we go further, can we just talk about the tagline for this film that's on the poster or maybe just the box? The one that says sex, drugs, and rock and roll was never meant to be like this. Wow. No, I was talking about their sin was love. Their revenge was murder. Oh, yeah. That's not on the box. The box says what I just read. Hmm. And that's on all the pictures online. Let me read you the back um, since we've been talking about the VHS release. First of all, this... Okay, video collectors, if you know Ocean Shores video, the Hong Kong Kung Fu release um, company, uh, the, the grammar and spelling on the back of their boxes is notoriously horrible. This gives it a run for its money. This might be the worst grammatical writing I've ever seen on a VHS release. Are you going to read this verbatim? I'm going to try my best. (laughs) Good luck. It says, Olivia and her boyfriend are driving home late one night when they accidentally run over a man escaping from a nearby house. Meet Julian a strange young man who, with his equally strange sister, are responsible for some weird occurrences in the neighborhood. When they take in Olivia to comfort her from the shock, the fun begins. Murder follows murder until the final terror. Who is really sane and who is demented? I tried to add the appropriate uh, punctuation. That's not verbatim. Well, it, it was too unnatural to uh, leave out any pauses because there's no commas. <laughs> How am I supposed to know when to breathe? Uh, anyhow, um, what do you think of that back of the box? Mm, I mean, it's just about as good as any description you could possibly make about this film. Although some things were a little incorrect. Yeah, or exaggerated. I'm kind of used to the... The exaggeration on the back of all of these boxes is just so run of the mill now. I'm I'm pretty pretty immune to it. Yeah. So we should talk a little bit about this director. He's Spanish and he was born in Barcelona. And he is most famous for the nineteen seventy-four film Vampires, which is like a lesbian vampire um very similar to this in terms of its its mood, I think, and its aesthetic. Uh, although this was his second film. He also did a film called Symptoms in 1974, which I think is most famous for starring... Um, what is his name? Uh, who plays um, Loomis in Halloween. Donald Pleasance. It has Donald Pleasance's daughter, Angela Pleasance, in it. And it's 
disturbing that their faces look exactly the same. So just imagine a girl, like a young girl with Dr. Loomis's face. Anyway, he also did a film that I'm familiar with called The Coming of Sin, which is famous for this dream sequence in which a woman straps herself inside of a, um, a horse statue in order to copulate with an actual horse. Well, that's just straight out of Greek mythology. Right, yeah. Replace horse with bull, yeah. Um, he did a film called Black Candles, which is really similar to this, only involves more sex. And then late in his career, he kind of strayed from this semi-erotic drug-fueled type film and did a couple of 80s slashers. He did Rest in Pieces and Edge of the Axe, which I am not a fan of, but I know a lot of video collectors are. Edge of the Axe goes for like 200 bucks, and I think that movie's boring as hell, but I, I people like it. I mean, it's more about the rarity, right? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it like I don't have a huge interest in collecting movies I don't like. Um, I I think most people who collect VHS genuinely like a lot of these films. I don't know. Maybe you just collect it for the rarity and then just act like it's good. Does it at least look good on a shelf? I guess it's not fan. It's just a a regular slipcase style box with a masked killer on the front mm. anyhow what else should we say about this movie before we get into the the plot insofar as there is one yeah i feel like the entire middle of this film just feels like a montage of drug induced orgies <laughs> yeah let's see if there's anything else i want to mention i'm not familiar with any of the actors um no I don't know if they had careers after this. Uh, I think this film was uh, made in the UK. So these are British actors, but I'm not familiar with them. I think this film was very low budget, but I still find it very bizarre that it has never gotten a real release. I wonder if there's a Japanese VHS of this. If anyone knows, tell me. I'm really curious. I'd love to have one. If you have a Japanese VHS of this, get in touch. I'll pay. I'll pay what it's worth. Anyhow, there is no trailer for this film. So I'm just going to play the theme, which we should talk about for a moment. So the, the score is done by Stelvio Cipriani, who also did the score for Cave of the Sharks, as well as, a, I mean, a lot of French and Italian films, maybe most famously Tentacles. Uh, but I love, I love this score. How did, how did you feel about it? It was cool. I mean, it was no Cave of the Sharks, but really what is? Oh, see, I like this more. Ooh. I like yeah. this more than the Cave of the Sharks score. The, the only, the only so music that jumped out to me through this whole film, and again, maybe it's because I was in fugue state for most of it, was the opener. It's definitely the best. Um, but I like it all. So a few years ago, this this had never gotten a release, the soundtrack. Uh, a few years ago for Record Store Day, they they put out a 10-inch LP of the, the theme and then some of the other cuts from the film. But I'm really I was really excited that that came out on on vinyl. 
So in the very first scene of this movie, we get a brief glimpse of a phrenology head. Do you think this has any bearing on the film? Absolutely none, but it looks cool as fuck. Yeah, I I really don't think it says anything about the film either. And then we get a, a sequence of a woman running like through a field and through some trees and the score is playing that we were just talking about. And, and we see a man boarding up a door. Uh, this has nothing to do with the rest of the film and it's never referenced again. Mm, I don't know about that. So we have Julian here nailing boards to a, to the threshold of a door while his sister, Rebecca is running through the woods. Uh, oh, I didn't realize that was Rebecca. I had to uh, rewatch the intro after I finished the film to, uh, to clarify that. Okay. All right. So continue. So, um, I mean, for, for a first watch, this means nothing. It's just you're watching this weird goblin man nail at some boards while, um, you know, some goth runs through the same woods where the weathering heights music video was shot just looking all anxious and confused and by that you mean a music video based on the novel not the kate bush song no the kate bush song oh really i yeah it looks like the same woods to me i don't know (laughs) oh okay i don't recognize it from that but all right i I mean it's probably just like any woods in the uk look like this (laughs) all right sure that's fair Whether this has any bearing on the plot or not, I think this is immediately extremely eerie. Like this, this scene with the score sets a tone for the movie that is pretty consistently adhered to. There are a lot of attention getters in this film with zero dialogue. Yeah, I mean, during this running sequence, we're hearing thunder there's like the noise of wind. The the camera is moving pretty effectively, I thought, through the forest. Like the camera work is kind of cool. We have just a hint of ominous music. The picture's really grainy. And then we have a freeze frame on her face. And that's when the real music starts. The sort of psychedelic rock theme, which I was just playing. I mean, the music is awesome. Like sometimes symphonic sounding lots of fuzz guitar maybe some conga drums i don't i was uh i'm enamored with this and that plays over the opening credits i i really like these credits did you actually read them no no okay so there's a part where it (laughs) it says script by some guy and then idea by some guy like the idea guy tried and, and couldn't pull off a script, said, fuck it, and then just outsourced it. I don't know. That's true of a lot of movies. I don't usually see the phrase idea by, but a lot of times I see story by and then screenplay by. Oh, is, that's that's the code? I think so. Mm. Yeah. Anyhow, so the credits end, and now we see... The same man, Julian, and I guess the same woman, I didn't realize it, his sister, Rebecca. And I only, okay, I only recognized her because she has the same medallion around her neck when she's running around. 
Oh, okay. Because otherwise, well, you know, a lot of people look kind of the same in these films. <laughs> well, in this scene, she's wearing like awesome 70s sunglasses and a big wide brimmed black hat. I couldn't decide if I thought this hat looked stupid or sexy. I didn't give it much thought. (laughs) No. (laughs) So they stop and the man knocks on the door to this warehouse and this other guy comes out. This is Malcolm and Julian has brought him a taxidermied peacock. And so this is when we find out that Julian is a taxidermist. Yes. Enter the rich and eccentric taxidermist, which we know from prior movie experiences will be an absolutely stand-up guy with a quirky sense of humor. Yeah, I mean, this, uh, here on Video Store Nightmares, we're like establishing this archetype, right? (laughs) Eccentric taxidermist that lives alone with a woman. So the Malcolm has a dog that he wants Julian to taxidermy for him. And this looks like a real dog, right? Yep. These guys must know whatever secret that guy in Beyond the Darkness knew, where you can inject something and it stays super limp. Well, I mean, rigor mortis doesn't stick around forever. No? No. No. I mean, I've I've done taxidermy and I've... Um, the the dead things are are often soft, but that's after we've frozen them and thawed them out. And so I thought that process is what Mm. like in the whole body is not limp like there are certain parts that maintain their rigidity like the the joints on arms are often really rigid the neck is often really rigid and you've gotta like snap some things in order to get the skin off this does not look like this this looks like a dog that's uh, fucking tranquilized So Julian casually mentions that he's taking a course on human embalming and that it's very interesting. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, exactly. Um, But after this scene, we meet a new couple. This is Olivia and Paul. And Olivia is upset with him, but at this point, we don't know why. Did, Did you immediately think this was an odd pair? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, she's like enamored with him, and I don't know why. As you'll learn, like, all right, he's not conventionally attractive. No. <laughs> he, we find out, is not wealthy. Well, I don't know about that. He's a doctor. He just, I thought he just had like an office job. No, he, he's a doctor. They mentioned that at one point. Oh, because he keeps saying he has to get back to the office. Yes, the doctor's office. All right, gotcha. All right. All right, look, Um, Paul Paul has the body of a man who makes six figures with a girlfriend like that. But to be fair, this was before the internet, so maybe Olivia just felt like this was the best she could do because she couldn't just hop on, you know, Tinder and keep swiping. Well, he also just is not going to win any awards for personality. Like... He's whiny as hell and and really irritating. At least that was my reaction. Yeah, he is pretty vanilla, but he is on top of uh, 
of, of noticing things are not exactly what they seem in just a bit. Yeah. So Olivia is saying that she's put up with it for a year and a half and that he just keeps telling her to be patient. And we find out later that he is married and she wants him to leave his wife for her. So they kiss and then something comes into the road and Paul swerves and they hit a tree. And Paul hits his head and Olivia is really freaked out. And then Julian shows up at the this window is, with a flashlight. I, I'll interrupt. That is not exactly how it happened because she was asleep when it happened. Okay. And he was just watching the road. All right. But something, something like runs out in front of the car. Yes. Okay. It's actually a really long establishing shot, which is a ongoing theme with this movie. And I think that's what really helps contribute to just dulling your senses because what? Olivia and Paul here are driving home from bar restaurant something and he's on a dark country road at night going through the woods and there's like a good three four plus minute scene where he is just driving through the woods smoking a cigarette watching the road Olivia on his shoulder he sees some road construction up ahead. He makes a detour and that's it. No music, no nothing. And, you know, the viewer is expecting something to happen because, you know, this is a movie. Why wouldn't anything happen? You know, I, I did not even notice, but I watch a lot of these 70s Euro horror movies and they're all like that. Like they're all... Um, very slow, um, with long periods of silence, lots of just looking at one another with, and, and reading expressions, uh, lots of banal dialogue. Um, it's, I think it's very characteristic of the era and the place. Nah, so I'm looking way too much into this. Yeah, no, this is just really characteristic of, of Euro horror from this period, I think. Word. So where where do you think that this trope of the car that breaks down in the middle of the night and they have to go to a nearby mansion, where do you think that started? Well, you have to have a mansion because you have to have a nice big set to film on, right? Yeah, but I mean, what's uh, let me ask this. What's the earliest you remember seeing this storyline? Gosh, I mean... I can't remember a specific example, but I imagine I probably first saw something like this on Scooby-Doo. You know, that, that mystery machine's kind of been breaking down all over the place. Oh, that's, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. I mean, uh, my goat, like, I think of Rocky Horror first, hmm. um, but... Well, well, think of it like this, right? The, the car, you had to figure out a way to disable the car so you could have your characters be stuck in whatever setting or whatever trap you are preparing for for the audience right it's like like cell phones if you watch like modern horror movies or modern anything now with cell phones you have to figure out a way to nullify them otherwise a lot of plot points just become completely moot 
Yeah. Do you remember the road diversion that's set up in Motel Hell? Have I seen that? <laughs> I don't know if you have or not, but it be it begins just like this, and there's there's a character named Farmer Vincent, and he has these one dimensional or or two dimensional wooden cows that he just props up in the road. <laughs> And that's how he gets drivers to come to his hotel. Wow. So in in this film, Julian takes them back to the mansion and he has to take boards that he nailed up off of this doorway in order for them to get in. I would think this would be like a major red flag. They did not notice at all. In Paul's defense, he just suffered a major concussion. (laughs) He was knocked out initially from the accident. And Olivia, I think, is a little too worried about Paul to really know what's going on. Plus, she's portrayed as like a like a naive city girl the entire time. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think that's another trope of these European horror movies from the period is that like the women are very dependent on the men and they don't do a lot of independent thinking. Although this director's lesbian vampire movie kind of uh, inverts those tropes. So that's interesting. So Paul keeps saying that he remembers hitting someone with the car, but nobody seems remotely concerned about this. And Julian keeps insisting that there was no one, um, that he just fell asleep on the road. And Paul's like, look, I know I didn't, but Rebecca brings them all chocolate milk to help them sleep. Is it chocolate milk? I thought it was just warm, plain milk. I thought it was... It, it, granted, I was watching this on an extremely grainy, dark VHS rip, um, but it looked like chocolate milk to me. No, it is just straight warm milk. And and that is... I have a new rule now where I am not going to trust anyone who tries to serve me warm plain milk like at least poison me with some chocolate i don't drink milk anyway it's that disgusts me (laughs) like the thought is so gross to me anyway um like the fact that i drank milk as a baby is like repulsive (laughs) (laughs) don't know what it is i i I must be one of the only people who like regrets things i did it as a baby (laughs) I think back and I'm like, how could I have worn those outfits that my parents had dressed me in? Yeah, the outfits you 100% picked out. How how could I have played with that toy? Yeah, I, I'm not fond of my... I was going to say memories, but I don't even remember. So anyway, um, so they go to bed and Paul smokes a cigarette and there's some kind of yelling. And Olivia says that they shouldn't worry. It's probably just another lodger in the house. But all throughout this conversation, Paul is is miserable. Um, and at one point, Olivia says, you're always looking for discreet hideouts. Well, this place is pretty quiet. There's no one asking questions. It's just the kind of place you like. So this is when I realized that he was having an affair. Yeah, it becomes absolutely clear here. But he says that they're in a divorce. 
and that his wife is just looking to catch him in a situation like this. So it's not that he's trying to hide it from her. It's that he doesn't want anything incriminating for the divorce case. I mean, if divorce court is pretty draconic now, I would imagine it was even worse in the 70s. Yeah, I think it's the opposite. I think it's gotten like more favorable to women, whereas back then it was more favorable to men. But mm. in the 70s, the tide might have just been turning. And I also don't know what the situation was in the UK. But anyway, you have this uh, Olivia here, who's likely a gold digger, <laughs> complaining that she's getting the short end of the stick. I don't know. She didn't strike me that way, but she struck me. Maybe it's her behavior later in the movie, but she doesn't seem like the type of person who really cares about like wealth. Mm. I mean, she keeps complaining that... uh you know, he's getting more out of this than she is. Yeah, she says, all men are bastards and women always fall into the role of the idiot. Thought that was a nice assessment. Appropriate for the time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Paul wakes up again later and he thinks they've been drugged, which they have. And it, he gets up and starts to sneak around. And he sees something that I think is just like a bunch of people behind like frosted glass. Could you tell what was going on here? Uh, no. Well, actually, I think they were hauling the body that he hit earlier. They definitely do that. Like we see that later on hmm. for sure. This is all establishing like the dreamlike imagery that we were talking about, especially the next scene where he discovers uh, what I refer to in my notes as a cat lady in bed. I think she's only referred to as auntie throughout yeah, the movie. But grandma cat room, that, that's what they would introduce this on the house tour. Yeah, she's laying in bed and she's got like three or four cats on the bed and she's just like mumbling stuff, but I can't understand anything that she mumbles. I, I don't think she's actually saying anything like relevant. You know, it just I just sounds like random out, words. Yeah, I just want to point out that at no point do we see a single litter box or cat tower or anything throughout this entire house. Like who's taking care of these animals? Yeah, I can't imagine Rebecca or Julian doing it. Did, like it could be like a real drug house and they just like let the cats roam free shit on the floor no one cares everyone's high and maybe they have access to outside her <laughs> auntie auntie's door was open and wasn't it boarded <laughs> i don't think this one was but uh, the fact that any doors are boarded is really strange yeah there are definitely other doors in this hallway that are boarded <laughs> and you just never know what's on the other side of them yeah, so there's all kinds of occult stuff around her room. Like he finds a crystal ball and I think a voodoo doll. And then there's small photos of like nude women next to the bed. And she seems catatonic. Like she doesn't move at all, even though she's mumbling. I think that if you can take the scenario seriously, this is actually a pretty creepy situation. Like, Oh, yeah, no. If, if you were... If you were in this situation, walking around this cat lady mumbling at you, like that would be unsettling. Is it at this point where he goes back to the room and tries to wake Olivia up again? Yeah, and she's completely out of it. Yeah, because he's, I mean, legitimately scared shitless. 
this is where he sees the people dragging a body out the window. Mm. And so he knows that he really did hit it with the car. And then we switch points of view to the group where, you know, it's Julian and some other people we don't know. And they're saying that they couldn't leave the guy on the road. I guess they knew this guy. And I think they say at some point that he couldn't handle his alcohol or his drugs or something. Is it a guy? I thought it was a woman. Maybe it is. Um, I, think so, they, I think they say he, but I might just, be wrong. Uh, the gist I got was that this was one of their posse. And I don't know if it was one of the established members or if this was uh, someone that was in Olivia's position. What I, be, what I assumed was that this person was either A, an established member of the posse or a new established member of the posse or someone who was in the same position as Olivia, uh, the same, well, the same position Olivia ends up finding herself in later in the film. Well, they're saying that they couldn't just leave this person on the road because it would attract police. And one of the people is like, well, we could just pin it on the, you know, the people driving. Uh, but that's when Julian, I think, says that that wouldn't work because the guy was drunk that got hit. But, but then Julian says, I really like this. He says, now cover him up. I'm sick of looking at his face. Ah, uh, yes, it is a dude. Okay. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty vicious. But Paul, I think, just tries to leave at this point, but he can't get the car to start. Is he just going to leave Olivia behind? Oh, man, I don't remember. <laughs> Did he really try that? Yeah, and, and, and the crowd confronts him, and he's telling them like please just let me go i won't say anything but he does say he's got friends in scotland yard and if he disappears they'll come looking for him hmm. and and then they drag him inside and they say they're going to give him a naturalist dinner and they keep trying to get him to eat a lizard do you remember this? Yes, I do. I just don't remember him starting the car <laughs> to get away. I thought he just got spotted or something. You're probably right, though. I. What did you think was up with the, the lizard eating? I think this is just sort of trying to establish that this whole gang of hooligans is just a bunch of, as the title suggests, deviants. I thought maybe um, it was... Like it, the implication was it was one of those animals that if you ate it, you had a psychedelic experience. Mm, I don't think there's any lizard like that. Well, I don't I don't know if there is or isn't, but the, this movie's not grounded in reality. It, it's more grounded in reality than some of the other stuff we've seen. Uh, true. <laughs> so they, they say that they want to play a game with him and they want to be friends. And there's a girl named Vivian, and she says she thinks Paul looks attractive. And they strip off his clothes, and Paul has a, a mermaid tattoo on his back, which is going to be important later on. And Vivian gets naked, and she climbs on top of Paul, and they keep looking at this tattoo and saying that the skin is worth money. And they hold him at gunpoint and he starts to make out with her because that's what they want him to do. 
and Rebecca is there. She keeps smoking and like looking really unhappy, like really bothered by something. What do you th- like? What do you think's going on with her in the scene? I think the idea is that each of these characters is supposed to have something particularly disturbing about their personality or something that's abnormal about their personality. And the girl that's on Paul in this case is probably a nymphomaniac. And what do you think's up with Rebecca? So Rebecca, it's never really fully explained, but I think it's one of two things. Either one, her shtick is that she's just a, a killer man. She just like, maybe whenever she gets aroused, she just becomes murderous or two, the sight of any male arousal just drives her to murder that's what i think it is and i read a review that mentioned that um because i think i might be remembering wrong but i think she only kills two people in this movie and both of them are men who are naked and just becoming aroused and both older men this movie has a a lot of older men on younger women interactions i think that's very european as well Hmm. i'm sorry that i keep stereotyping all of you in europe i don't know if we have a lot of european listeners i know we have several canadian listeners which is wow um yeah but uh yeah if you're from europe and and you think any of if if you think we're off about any of this let us know Uh, i'm curious I didn't really see it as a European thing. I just figured it was like uh, some lumpy middle-aged white guy wrote the script and thus uh, women just decide in his story were just like absolutely enraptured with that body type. Well, kind of like what happens in American comedies now. I'll also point out that I don't think Europe has the same or at least England doesn't have the same penchant that we do where like every person in an american movie has to be fit and attractive like even older people in our movies don't look like these older people unless their character is supposed to look bad for some reason yeah i mean it hasn't always been like that in american cinema but it's definitely like that for every blockbuster unless you know the script calls for someone who looks weird Yeah, I was going to say, in the 70s, I don't think that was so much the case. Like, there are definitely examples where older men and women sometimes are main characters. I mean, think about movie movie stars, quote, like uh, Donald Sutherland or, uh, hell, earlier we mentioned um, Donald Pleasance, Orson Welles. Like, these are not traditionally attractive people, but they were stars. Even going back as early as the the 80s, oh man, I'm seeing early for the 80s, um, you know, you can watch like an 80s sitcom and like no one has muscle definition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, now that shit's a science. Right. Anyway, Olivia wakes up and goes looking for Paul. And this is when I'm, <laughs> I don't know, it just didn't uh, hit me this way before. She passes the boarded up door and it's just boards like the door is open you could easily just squeeze in between the boards i don't know what these boards are about Mm. 
And so Rebecca introduces Olivia to Auntie, this wait, is the cat we, lady. We completely skipped over what happened to Paul at the end of that scene. <laughs> oh, well, I thought, uh, I, I, I guess we just left it implied, but um, Rebecca kills Paul with a knife and yells, like, kill him hysterically. And uh, someone bashes him in the head with something. So anyway, yeah. he's, he's dead. No, I mean, definitely not the worst way to go out, but he, he should, probably should have stayed in his room. Yeah. So um, Rebecca tells uh, Olivia that he went with Julian to go take care of the car. And Rebecca's like surprised that he like she says she she says she would have liked to go. But this is going to become a trend in this movie where uh, Olivia finds out that Paul supposedly did things uh, that she did not get to be a part of. So she meets Auntie, and uh, Rebecca says she's always surrounded by her cats. And they start talking to her, and Auntie says that the spirits came last night, and she could hear them clearly, but not communicate with them, that they'll come back. And Rebecca tells us that Auntie is a medium, that she communicates important information with the absent, is what she says. Um, but it can't be forced. Olivia is completely unfazed by all this. Her breakfast conversation is just like, oh, you like to talk to ghosts? That's cool and totally normal. She is very lackadaisical, I guess is the word, throughout this film. Rebecca leaves to get coffee and Auntie tells Olivia to go leave this house or you'll be sorry take my advice while there's still time or else they'll kill you like they killed the others do you think people just keep dying like presumably people have died before this do you think they're just dying because like rebecca's insane i mean i don't think her brother's much better no but we don't actually see him kill anyone do we no we don't really get a backstory on these two no, we don't. Not at all. To be honest, uh, for a movie that's, you know, that's called Deviation, there's like 100% less incest than I expected. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know. We do, I think, get a vibe that they're incestuous, but we never actually see anything. If this movie was created a little more traditionally, I feel like there probably would have been a point where... Uh, taxidermist goblin prince would have gone on a monologue about how he and his sister grew up watching his rich parents struggle in a loveless marriage and then it comes to a head one sets the other on fire burns down the vacation home kids are the only survivors with a sick inheritance and then they just sort of live out their lives as sex offenders in the woods but do, no, we don't we don't get any of that. They're just weird and they have money from taxidermy. Do you just think he looks like a goblin? Is that why you're calling him that? Yeah, kinda. No, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, look at him. I think he looks uh pretty, I guess. I mean, for like a pretty man. It's nothing wrong being into goblins. Goblins okay. need love too. Sure. Maybe not this one, but the other ones. 
they remind me of there's a movie called goodbye gemini i think it was released in the united states as as siblings or twins something like that but it's about a brother and sister who really remind me of these two i mostly remember it because it has an absolutely awesome theme theme song by a band named the peddlers called tell the world we're not in and just for the hell of it i'm gonna play a little bit of it So the whole group goes downstairs, like to a basement or something, and they pass around a joint. And Olivia clearly has not smoked before, but Rebecca says that she'll she'll teach her how. And we get an on-screen lesson on smoking weed. Like, would this be in a movie now? No, I think the movie would just assume everyone knows how at this point. Well, also, like companies are worried about featuring smoking in movies because they don't want to like give kids an idea i feel like if you gave a lesson on like here's how you smoke a joint um that would be deemed bad for the children but i guess no children are watching these kind of movies anyway well one this was before uh parents were able to be lawsuit happy and two did this movie manage to dodge the video nasties list because if it did, then hey, you escaped scot free. Uh, I don't even know if this got a an, a release in the UK, so mm. I don't know. But one guy's playing guitar, and it's really soothing and calming. Rebecca's being very sensual, um, and Olivia says, "I think I'm going to die." And, and then, then everyone stands up. And goes to the deck of the boat and starts to jump into the ocean. <laughs> no, wrong, wrong Cipriani movie. In this one, uh, Rebecca and Olivia debate who has the more beautiful hands. <laughs> I guess that's okay. And I, I notice Rebecca's wearing like a bunch of rings. Have you ever noticed that in movies like this, the villainous female always wears a bunch of rings? I don't know if it's necessarily that, but she's clearly into the occult. I just figured these were all charms or, um, you know, symbols of things that she believed in. She also has a wicked amulet and all sorts of other jewelry on her on her person. Yeah, that's a good point. But I do think this is a, a common trope amongst these movies. It's like villainous females wear rings. But they discuss their astrology signs and decide that since one is a Pisces and one is a Cancer, that their signs go well together. 
And it seems to me like Rebecca is really into Olivia, like not just for, you know, free sex, but is really grooving on her. Do they even make love at any point? They don't show us, but I think it's implied at several times. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like she just never embraced. During that orgy scene? Yeah, like I I mean they kind of cuddled, but there was nothing else. I think it was implied. But anyway, so uh Olivia's taking a nap and she's woken by Julian. Uh he says they went to all the auto shops in the city and that none of them worked out, and that Paul just took a train back home so he could go to work on Monday. Uh he tells her that she can stay as long as she wants, and that a mechanic's gonna come the next day, but uh Paul is gone. I would not have bought this story, would you? I mean, Paul is pretty flaky. Like you said, he uh, he tried to drive away, leaving Olivia behind. That's true. And he did really care about, he cared about being back to work, but or Olivia tells us that really he just cared about uh, not, th- that his wife calls work every Monday. Oh, yeah, you don't want to pay out alimony. Right. But in response to this offer from Julian, Olivia says that something about this place leaves me rather dumbfounded, but I like it. I think that's a good description of this movie for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dumbfounded, but I like it. We, By the way, this, I don't think anyway, uh, this walkthrough we're doing communicates the sort of bizarre atmosphere and mood of this film. No, the house looks like it's real and lived in. Very ornate, though. The camera angles are both normal and obtuse at strange times. Like, right off the bat, I can think of when uh, Paul and Olivia are in their bedroom having like a, you know, married couple discussion. The camera is situated what looks like either inside a closet, like they're spying on them. Or like someone's peeping over the footboard, like listening to this, this watching this interaction that should only be for them. And there's no specific attention drawn to this. But yeah, I stuff like this is throughout the whole film. I can't remember if the director does that in his other films or not, but it, it definitely is noticeable here. Rebecca tells us that the building was condemned, but she says the spirits have taken over. You know, the occult angle is really played down in this film. Yeah, and yet it's, um, it is present, right? Like, it's just not talked about. It's never acknowledged. I, I almost expected there to, to be some sort of supernatural climax to this film, and it never comes up because it's just a hobby. Yeah, that's a you know what this film in more than one way reminds me of the film Satan's Blood, which if you have not seen it, I recommend it. It's just like this movie, but with more um, overt sex, more graphic sex. Um, Video nightmare stamp of approval. Oh, for sure. Satan's Blood. Meanwhile, we see Julian looking over Paul's dead body. And he opens a book, I guess. 
I think he's going to try to remove the tattoo, but we get to that later. He's looking at his taxidermy notes. Right. So he approaches Rebecca in the hallway. The The transitions in this movie are very strange. It almost feels like a hack job, like a bad editing thing, but it, cre- it adds to that dreamlike, drug-fueled atmosphere. Rebecca's alone in her room now and doing something. It it looks looking at a sculpture, I think, and she hears a violent, like frightening noise. And she looks over into the next room and sees two people naked together. I think this is what I saw. Is that what I saw? Rebecca is looking over and seeing Julian boning Olivia. So we do see julian having sex with olivia and this this upsets rebecca right it's done in a very strange way like julian approaches her in a weird manner turns on a music box (laughs) like those are those are normally not the sick beats you want to work to did you get the sense here at this point that rebecca was like jealous or hurt yes okay yeah, it's it's pretty heavily implied. Even before this scene in particular, she starts acting a lot colder towards her brother. What maybe it's just that Julian and Olivia's astrological signs do not meld the way hers does. <laughs> anyway, switch scene. Olivia walks into Rebecca's room and says that she heard the car being towed and she wanted to talk to the mechanic to see how long it would take. And Rebecca's just kind of like, oh, well, it's it's gone. Uh, And Olivia's saying she's got to get back to town. And Rebecca's like, why? You have to get to work? Um, And she says, yeah, and I, I have to telephone Paul. And Rebecca says that would be rather difficult. There's no phone. At this point, there's like animosity between them now, right? Because Rebecca's hurt. Yeah, I think Rebecca feels a little betrayed. But she says, we're having another session in our our refuge tonight, and I'm counting on your presence. I like that they call these, like, drug-fueled orgies sessions in the refuge. It's just part of that occult mysticism kink that they got going on. I don't know. I think this that we see next is, like, the quintessential 70s party. Right, a bunch of people sitting on floors, on pillows, smoking weed out of hookahs, and starting to make out. And then the music suddenly shifts, the drums kick in, and the clothes start to come off. This is another scene where I thought the Cipriani score was amazing. We see Olivia and Rebecca cuddling, and like uh, Rebecca keeps putting the joint in Olivia's mouth so she can smoke. But yeah, we don't actually see them having sex, but I think that it's implied. But Julian is currently occupied with another girl from the party, but he keeps side-eyeing Olivia the entire time. Yeah. There's definitely a power struggle between the two siblings for Olivia's heart. Yeah, for sure. So we've got that going on, and then at the same time, I think this scene is just incredibly well done at, like, making us feel like we're there in that state of mind in that room 
I think it, it, I was interested though. We never get a landscape shot of like the whole room. We just see close-ups of faces and body parts and sections of the room. It makes the room feel really small and intimate, but also kind of claustrophobic. Like, did you notice this? Yeah, I think it's intentional. I do. I mean, I think it's really effective. I like it. On the other hand, this scene is just like perfectly 70s. There's so much overt erotica in 70s horror. But on the same, on the other hand, I'm kind of surprised that they like got away with this. Does this really strike you as a horror film? Yeah, what would you classify it as? Hmm. Thriller? Horror's a uh, strange cousin? <laughs> I think I'd call this Euro horror or Euro exploitation. That's the how I usually describe movies like this. I feel like this movie starts off more horror-esque and then just completely turns into into what you would, I guess what you would, I would call a thriller, you would call Euro horror. It's, it's almost a drug movie after that point. Yeah. You know, um, I guess we kind of mentioned that earlier, right? Like, well, I mentioned that earlier. This this could come off as like a as like a dare film in a way, like about the dangers of drugs. Like, you know, if you smoke marijuana, these will be your friends. You know, on the one hand, that's true. On the other, I think that I think that this film kind of romanticizes the feelings of being on mind-altering substances like i can imagine this making someone want to try drugs you know the movie has that appearance at first but in a little bit we're going to see the reveal that almost this entire time olivia has been getting drugged not just with marijuana but there are syringes that are left out on nightstands and you're wondering like, why are those there? And it's because she's been getting injected with either heroin or some kind of, um, what, what did you say it might've been earlier? It looks like morphine to me. Yeah. So they might've been injecting her with heroin or morphine. And that is what's been dulling her senses, keeping her from wanting to leave because she is stuck in this time has no meaning mindset and the movie doesn't feel like it's showing you a lot of scenes but i get the impression that she has been at this house for a lot longer than we think i don't think she has but it feels like she has i think it's only been a few days that seems like what well, i mean i'm probably looking way too much into this but it feels like she's been there for a lot longer also, it's interesting. I thought, like, there is a scene where we explicitly see Julian give her an injection. I thought that was the first time. That no, there's, there's like a syringe on a nightstand at some point before that happens. Yeah, but Julian uses it. In, in other points. Uh, I don't know, me, me. Hmm. So I just feared the syringes were from Julian. They're but not I... for Julian, but he's definitely using them on other people. Uh, maybe because he uses himself though right like don't we see him at some point i don't remember that this um the the plot is is more difficult than you might imagine to follow in this film and doesn't really matter 
in the next scene, we see Olivia walking through the woods and she comes inside and Rebecca is in her room. And Rebecca really seems pissed during this moment. She's like, have you been for a stroll in the woods? And uh, Olivia's like, I didn't expect to find you here. And Rebecca has brought her coffee. But Rebecca seems pretty pissed at this point. We see Olivia take a bath. And then the next we see she's in bed for the night. That was a fast day. Again, time has no meaning in this house. Yeah, it's... I just think it's... All right, so if I was being generous, I'd say that it contributes to that feeling of being drugged, of being outside of time, of uh, unreality. Um, But I think it's just as likely just terrible editing. Okay, so that appears to be another one of the trends we are discovering. Is it bad end editing (laughs) or is it intentional? uh, uh, Oh, God, what we call it? Um, Like a disassociative consciousness? I don't know. Well, whatever it is, as she's in bed, she's hearing strange noises. It sounds like a rusty gate opening and closing. And suddenly Julian's face comes into view above her. This actually kind of scared me, like made me jump. I thought it was a cheap scare shot. It didn't get me, though. I just I wasn't expecting it. Uh, So at at this point, they have sex. He gives her morphine. um, And the next day we see her passed out. And Rebecca and Julian are there with a doctor. And he's saying, oh, he is not a doctor or pharmacist. Yeah, he's a chemist. (laughs) Okay. But he's telling Julian, like, one day you're going to go too far. And Julian says that she kept insisting on more doses, which I don't know if that was really true or not. No. But this is where Julian says that it's heroin. And the doctor immediately seems really perverted. He's saying, I wish you'd invite me to one of your sessions. And Rebecca retorts with, our parties are for the younger generations. But he keeps hinting that he wants to take Olivia home. Like, keep her at home, it sounds like. Like, he he keeps saying, how, like, what a lovely young woman she is and touching her and stuff, right? Yep. But he also seems interested in Rebecca. Because he says um, that he'll make the, the prescription for her, but he has to do it at his pharmacy in the village, and he wants Rebecca to come with him. Yeah, and it's very direct. This dude's like, yeah, you know, let me creep on your Morticia Adams sister <laughs> while I make this medication. Yeah, and almost like blackmailing them. Like, he says, you're lucky to have me here. Like, most people would have gone to the police. He also states he is not a doctor and this is outside the scope of his uh, medical profession. And then he keeps talking about his bill, that they're going to have to pay his bill. But it's obviously implied that his bill is sex. This woman looks like she's just going to kill you for the medicine and take your car. And he is just completely oblivious to it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe at that age, you're just like excited to be next to someone who doesn't have prune skin. <laughs> I mean, I I am totally reading this into the film. It is not stated or explained. But 
I got the impression that he was the kind of person that it like excited him that she was not into him and did not want to be there, but he knew that she had to be. Oh, possibly. Yeah. That's, that was kind of my read on it because that's why he's, he keeps saying things like, you know, this is payment for the bill because he's, it's almost like blackmail. Yeah, that's a lot more interesting than my whole uh, whole theory about yo girl and noticed your fine elastic skin, <laughs> and that's that's the that's the bar to, to to jump over right there. I I liked this exchange that they had. So they go in the pharmacy, and he asks, "Isn't it nice?" And she says, "It's horrible." And he asks why, and she says, "Cause it's too old." And he's like, this building is over 200 years old. And she says, almost as old as yourself. <laughs> and he says, almost. Yeah. I, I, that See, that exchange gets across the fact that Rebecca is disgusted by age. Like, that seems to be her, the thing that sets off her violent streak. Hmm. So the drug has to like sterilize and he wants to go upstairs and have a sherry that he keeps for special occasions. And he has a chest of old fashioned clothes that he says might interest her. I don't know why, because of what she's wearing, I guess. I figured he just had like a dress up vibe. But also, once they get upstairs, Rebecca asks him, who these clothes belong to like was it his previous wife and he completely dismisses that question just says it doesn't matter who owned these before yeah i thought that was interesting yeah there's there's a lot of character development in this very short amount of time the the first thing that he finds is this hat with ostrich feathers uh, once again, I could not decide if I thought this hat was ridiculous or beautiful. <laughs> and uh, and he's telling Rebecca, you have a beautiful body. He says, I prefer you to Julian's drugged girlfriend. So they start to have a sherry. And he says, that, I really like this. He said, I seldom invite people to invade my privacy, but you're an exception. Is this where he busts out the cake from the cabinet? Not yet. <laughs> he says that, uh, he says, I assume this is not the first time you've been alone with a man. Why waste time eating, drinking when there are so many better things to do? Yeah, so this is after the cake because he's saying like, why waste time eating it? Yeah. He gets her into bed and... The expressions and the noises he makes, like they do a really good job of making him repulsive. <laughs> I mean, they didn't have to try very hard, right? Yeah. I mean, if if you weren't disgusted by his body, you would be by his personality. But the most surprising thing for me was that she's just letting this happen. And she seems to be enjoying it quite a bit. Oddly. Like... Yeah, in a moment she snaps, but while he's doing his thing, she she looks like she's enjoying it. Actually, yeah. Okay, this 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 is my notes. It's wow, she's letting this happen. No question mark. And then she did not let it happen. 
No, there's this <laughs> knife conveniently laying by the bed, and she grabs it and just starts to violently stab the doctor in the back. And then she panics and like rips the room apart. And she sees her reflection in the mirror and seems to be like frightened. And so she breaks it. So what do you think's going on here? Like what what is up with her? She just goes into a psychosis whenever either she is aroused or she sees the arousal of men. Yeah. Maybe that's why she's so interested in Olivia because she's not a man. Oh, I, th- I think that the implication is that she's gay for sure. So she brings Olivia the medicine, and meanwhile, we see Julian with Paul's dead body, and he's starting to cut away the tattoo on the back. He's really taking his sweet time with this, isn't he? Yeah, it's it's been, at least I think it's been days. Uh, I don't know if he's been keeping the body on ice or what, but. Julian asks uh, Rebecca if she slept with the doctor and she says she calls him a pig. And later she's like forlornly tossing flowers into a stream. Is is this just supposed to add to our feeling that she's in love with Olivia? That's the impression I got. When Olivia wakes up, she has a pendant around her neck. Is this Rebecca's? Yes. Okay. Okay. I could I didn't recognize it but I the camera lingers on it like we're supposed to recognize it. And Rebecca is lying naked next to her. Is she dead? Yes. It looks like her wrists are cut. Her right? wrist is cut. It, it but the special effect looks like like chocolate sauce. It it looks <laughs> really bad. Not on the YouTube version everyone. <laughs> oh no, it doesn't. No, I mean it it just looks like red. It's not very convincing, but you can tell what they're getting at. That's why I was confused because it didn't even look red. It looked like like chocolate sauce. You know, the the intro to this movie is, I mean, I think it's intentional. Looks like it's a damaged film reel in a way. Like yeah, you see for the sure. Little, the it little does. speckles and stuff on the on the individual frames, and but then the rest of the movie it's completely absent from what I remember. So I always wondered if it was like a stylistic choice or if something just happened during that one opening sequence when they're filming in the woods. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this was probably this was probably transferred from like one crappy film reel and put on a cheap VHS release that was then ripped like an old beat up copy of it was ripped to YouTube like this we don't have we don't have a pristine like cleanup job done on this film no but that adds to the charm and yeah i think so sometimes it does so um so rebecca has just committed suicide then like cut her wrists in bed with olivia yeah it's really sudden there's not really um you know any build up to it outside of her tossing the flowers into the water i mean IRL, that's kind of just what happens sometimes. Every time you say IRL, I'm briefly confused. Oh, sorry. It's my hipster. No, not even hipster. It's my it's my cool kid. I, I've never heard anyone say that. No, nah, it's, it's just, just keyboard abbreviations, man. <laughs> no, I get it. I just didn't know they entered into conversation. You know, maybe if you texted with more teenagers, you'd beyond the lo- the lowdown no i i text in complete sentences with punctuation so 
Julian gets home and Olivia's like sneaking around the house. Is she suddenly scared of him or like worried he'll blame her for so Rebecca? She, she has been in a drug-induced state for almost the entire film. She has now been given the medicine to oh, good point. Good wake point. her up, bring her back into the world. And so now she's like, wow, you know, I thought this was fun, but it turns out it was just the morphine heroin. Got it. That makes much more sense than what I was wondering. And she doesn't want to get back in that situation. She goes to Auntie and asks her where the gun is and keeps saying, like, give me the gun. And she calls her a, a stupid old witch. Are we supposed to know there's a gun? You know, I was trying to remember if there was a conversation at some point where Auntie mentioned a gun and I couldn't recall it. Mm. There are two times where Olivia is accosted by Auntie, but I don't remember a gun being mentioned in either instance. Either way, she is very aware there's a gun. Okay. So Auntie responds by saying, I told you that you were dead. You've been dead for years. What does that mean? I, you know, I don't think she's been there for years, but she's been there for a while, I think. All right. Well, there on Auntie's vanity is the framed section of Paul's tattoo. And so Olivia, like, knows he's dead now if she didn't before um and julian comes in but olivia shoots him with the gun that she just found while auntie like cackles maniacally was she always handcuffed to the bed i think so but i didn't notice it until here yeah like all right auntie time to go night night just handcuff her to the bed <laughs> yeah i i liked this scene though oh it's great again i don't know where the gun comes from but it, you looked know like she, it looked like she pulled it out of a dresser drawer. Well, hey, I mean, first off, you go, girl, for just unloading on this guy. Like, dude doesn't even get a chance to try and weasel his way out of it. Nope. So we go to the hospital, to a hospital where Olivia is being kept. So I guess this is later on. And we find out that she was, she was found wandering by police, covered in blood with a gun in her hand. And the police want to question her, but the doctor says that she needs undisturbed rest. And then there's a really cool scene where she is looking up at the doctor and the nurse, and they morph into Julian and Rebecca. And then that's the end. She goes from one drugged state to another drugged state. There's no escape. Yeah. So before we get into reviews, what do you think the point of this movie is? Like oh, it gosh. doesn't, it doesn't seem to be trying to be scary. It, but Again, it's it not, doesn't seem like a horror film to me. But it's also not like, I mean, it, it's erotic kind of, but it doesn't have, doesn't have um, explicit sex or nudity the way like Satan's Blood does. I'd imagine this is still exploitative, right? I mean, even by seventy standards, there is gratuitous nudity, sex. Um, orgies, interracial uh, interactions. Um, I think this is a lesbianism film. that's um, uh, per, mm, uh, God. What's the word? English is hard. Uh, not direct. 
the the idea the idea of lesbianism is there <laughs> i think this is a film and the more we talk about it the more this clarifies for me i think this is a film about sexual repression hmm. so think about it like all right what's it paul does not have obviously sex within his marriage he's stepping outside of it for you know an affair no um, paul represents boring every guy olivia like she just wants paul to be like loyal to her but she seems to have more desire for rebecca and rebecca definitely has it, she, rebecca is gay she's repulsed by male arousal and she is infatuated with Olivia, but the only way she has to express her her um, homosexuality is through murder, right? Like she has no healthy way to to think like this is the kind of sexual relationship I want to pursue. So instead, she's in these situations with men, and then the act of the erotic drives her into homicidal rage because she's frustrated it's not olivia yeah well not I, I i don't know if she knows she wants to be with olivia at that point or if she's just like disgusted by men because the implication is that she's killed before right like it, within the world of this movie where we see two murders those are not the only two murders she's done no they buried that body like they had done it before yeah, so I think this is a film about sexual repression and th its dangers. Anyhow, I don't Deviation, know. Deviation, everybody. <laughs> I don't know if that matters. Um, go ahead and give your final thoughts and a rating out of four. Weird camera angles, odd atmosphere. I, I'm, I am really interested in other works by this director because just cannot shake the feeling that this one might be one of his lesser quality titles maybe i just watched this at the perfect time to get sucked into the whole disorientated time suck perception prison vibe or maybe i'm wrong and this film is just actually boring and i'm full of shit but you know either way i think this is a cool watch for those who are used to mm, i guess going for what we normally cover on this program i'm not sure if i would recommend it to friends necessarily at the very least this film is a great pick for netflix and chill or uh youtube and chill bootleg and chill if this is no longer on youtube at this point um you know just just come up for air out of whatever crotch you're eating every five minutes to catch up on plot developments and you're good to go two stars <laughs> okay i was not bored at all during this movie uh but i really like these european horror movies sex movies whatever this crossover world is erotic horror I if you like these, then I think this is a really good, you know, addition to the genre um, and should be part of canon. But like it's really just 
not known. It it did not get uh, a good release. There are movies by Jose Larraz that are very well known within the horror community, and for whatever reason, this one just is not. And I I don't think it's one of his lesser films. I I actually like this one more. Um, then I like Vampires, which is the one that he most often gets a lot of credit for. Um, I definitely like it more than his later stuff, like Edge of the Axe. I, if this movie's hitting all of my interest points. Like, I love surrealism. I love psychedelics. I love um, non-linear, dreamlike storytelling. Love erotica um, in movies love occult or implied occult nonsense um so i I, i really am the target audience for this movie and it i love the way it creates a dreamlike state that you are in throughout it with that said there are some points that just feel like bad editing like that day where Olivia literally wakes up, takes a bath, and goes to bed. Or the opening scene that is never linked in with the rest of the plot. Like, those don't feel like dreamlike. They just feel like incompetence. And so those moments actually kind of take me out of the movie. Um, Whereas in the past, with some episodes, I think Witch Who Came From The Sea, I said that I didn't know if the editing was intentional or not, but it it lent itself to a dreamlike feel. Um, Here, I do not feel like it adds to the dreamlike feel in some points. I feel like it's just a distraction. But I, I like this movie if you are a lover of the this kind of movie you you probably know whether this is a movie for you or not <laughs> it's a hard one to rate it is I, I really had no idea what i was going to rate this one i'll give this two and a half stars and with a suggestion to if you have not already watch satan's blood because it's like the slightly better version of this all right next week we are doing something totally different we're going to be talking about the 1992 Olaf Eitenbach German anthology film, The Burning Moon. I know that there are a lot of fans of this movie. It is a beloved, especially for those of us who like shot on video stuff. This is, I think this is probably the most impressive shot on video movie I've ever seen. And the gore effects in it are beyond belief. And it it probably has one of the best visual images of hell I've ever seen portrayed in a movie. So Damn I'm super... Spoiler. <laughs> hey, uh, I mean, it's... It, it If you read the IMDb description, it mentions it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but you've never seen this movie. I have not. All right. I am really excited for you to watch it and to talk about it. I think this is going to be a blast. So if you, like Leland, have not seen The Burning Moon, uh, check it out before next week and join us then to hear our thoughts. Uh, Leland, do you have any last words? Uh, Just as a heads up, it is not on YouTube unless you can read Spanish subtitles. 
yeah, but it is on Amazon Prime and um, there's DVD and Blu-ray releases. I think the VHS tape goes for like 200 now. Yeah, so don't don't get the cassette. Yeah, I I have a um I have a re-release of the the cassette from one of those like semi-contemporary VHS like bootleg companies. It's not Massacre Video, but it's something like that. So anyway, I I do not have an original release. I, I'm not I'm not shelling out the money for this one, but it's a great film. So until next week, you can find everything we do on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. And until next week, goodbye.